it's time to get reconnected. Tune in every week to Enneagram Restored Podcast for Reconnected, a relationship series on how the Enneagram can be a bridge between your relationship goals and the current reality of your relationships. I'm your host, Brayden Williams, and welcome back to another episode of Enneagram Short Podcast. For my faithful listeners, I always want to give you thanks for listening one more time. And for new listeners, I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, today's episode is jam-packed with information on how type twos can discover reconnection. So let's just jump right into it. start off today's episode about talking about how twos love so twos love a twos love expressed and motivated by their pride is motivated by their generosity and and their disconnection from productive thinking Um, and what i mean by that is twos are very generous people particularly um, with their time and efforts they again if, if you know anything about a two you know that twos and this is why they call it the helper because they like to help people um, achieve their best life to be happy um, sli- slightly um, because um, and they, they like to do this because it's from that um, message that that windy message that they're only as good as the help if they give out and so or if they're not needed, they're not wanted. Um, so being needed, being their help being needed is what makes them feel wanted in a way, and not the best way, but that, that's what's going on here. Um, and so they're very generous with their time. And like I said, this generosity is a way that allows others to be happy all the time, to live their best life. Um, but this generosity is also tagged by um, a two's pride. Um, twos have this entitled thinking um, that everyone deserves their help or everyone is begging for their help. Uh, everyone is desperately in need of a two's help, which is which at times is, is, is not exactly a wrong way of thinking, but for the most part, this thinking will not really help a two, but rather do more harm than help to us two in their life because the the reality of it is not everyone is in desperate need of help at all times, but that's kind of thinking that a two takes on. And so 
a thing that will help a two, and I'll, I'll talk more in depth about this later in the episode, but a thing um, that will help a two, and this is something also that is mentioned greatly by Suzanne Stabile, who is a two, um, is that once they learn to do what is theirs and learn to do and learn what's not theirs to do, it helps them move to life better because you're not, you're no longer worrying about your problems plus the problems of other people, but you're worrying about your problems and the problems that you can help other people with. And so it, it, it lightens the load. Um, and so it's detrimental that a two learns this from the get go that what is mine to do? Okay. My life is my life to take care of that as a non-starter. But then maybe I'm not needed in this area to help my friend. Maybe they're not asking for relationship advice. Maybe they're not asking me to help them financially. Where can I let go in helping other people? Once a two is able to pick that stuff out and learn what is theirs to do and what is not theirs to do, life will be much more smoother for them. Now, it can I, it, it will take some time to get used to, but definitely it will help them in life. So, but if you remember, shame is the core emotion of the heart triad. Um, every type within the heart triad deals with shame in a different way. Three is deny their shame. Fours try to control their shame by focusing on how unique they are. And twos deal with shame by getting people to like them and having others think of them as a good person. This, again, is why they are such avid helpers. So, you know, let me help you with this. Let me show you that I'm good, that I'm not like other people, that I'm not a bad person. Let, let me jump in and help you right there so you don't have to struggle. I'll take the struggle for you to show you that I'm a good person. That That's, again, why, why they help. And that, that's, again, uh, why the love is motivated and expressed in the way that it is. And when it comes to a two's limits of love, it, it's sort of an ironic thing. Uh, twos are limited by their abundance of relationships. Okay, how, how does that make sense? You're saying, how is a limitation of love abundance of relationships? That seems oxymoronic. It seems ironic. Um, well, what I mean by that is, we all know the more relationships you have, the harder it is to be intimate in certain relationships. And, and that goes, it's kind of like a a wave hitting a wall. Twos desire intimacy. They crave a deep intimacy within their relationships. But at the same time, they have abundance of relationships. They have so many relationships that, you know, it's, it's like this wave. Here's a wave of intimacy trying to come in, but you have so much relation. They have so many relationships that it's kind of like a wall and that intimacy just can't flow to the other side. And that, that's, that, that's the entire problem. That, that's what I mean by their abundance of relationships is a limitation to their love. They, they can't experience the full desire of intimacy that they wish to have because they have so many relationships. And so it, it just does it too well to say, all right, here's my core relationships. Here, here's where I want to develop deep intimacy. Now, where, where can I go? 
from here? What, what relationships don't require so much intimacy? What relationships can say, all right, you're just a colleague, or you're just a, or, or you're just um, an acquaintance, or you're just a stranger that I happen to run into, but I don't plan on seeing either the time. Knowing where you want to take that relationship as a two from the get go will help you develop the intimacy that you want for each relationship. So, if you say as a two, when you meet somebody, all right, I see our relationship going somewhere. I want to develop a deep intimacy with you um, as a friend. Let's do that. All right. If you say uh, you just don't kind of fit in my life right now, uh, it was nice to meet you, but I. I I don't think we'll ever meet again. He just happened to be a stranger on the street who I met and was a nice encounter, but it was only one time thing. If, if you know as a two where you want to take your relationships from the get-go, it'll help you connect in so much better ways in the future because you're not relying on, you're not fighting your desire for intimacy with your abundance for relationships. So know that from the get-go. Know how, know where you want to take each relationship into it. Know how you know know how you want to develop the intimacy of each relationship from the get go when you meet somebody, rather than saying, "All right, we've been friends for some odd years. Let's discuss intimacy." I, I I know a lot of people think of intimacy like all sexual relationships, you know, man wife type of thing, but intimacy is so much more than just that. Intimacy is a, a deep level of knowing somebody. And of course we were, we correlated to sex in a lot of times, but intimacy can be within a friendship. It could be very intimate with a friend and just saying uh, how deep you care for them and showing love in a way that you don't show love to other people. Intimacy is not just about the sex, but it's about how deep you care for somebody, how you know deep you wanna be involved in, involved in somebody's life. So I, I, I want to advise everybody to no longer think of intimacy just as sex, but think of intimacy as a level of connection with people. It'll change your whole perspective on sex alone and then on relationships entirely, entirely because then you're saying, all right, I want to develop this level of intimacy with you Let's be intentional about that. Again, th these are two words that I use interchangeably a lot when people ask me about relationships. It's like, decide where you want to go in your intimacy with this person and then be intentional about that. Two of my most favorite words, intentionality and intimacy. You can't have intimacy if you're not intentional, but you can't discover how to be intentional inside a relationship if you don't know how intimate you want the relationship to be. So it's kind of like a seesaw. It kind of like kind of like a balance, a scale that you have to balance. You got to know one side before you can balance the other side. You know, discover that level of intimacy from the get go. Then you can be intentional about how you connect with people um, in life, and it will just help you live life in a better way. All right, so let's talk about love languages real quick the five love languages. Now, so there's a little bit of challenge for this episode um, because I definitely had some trouble coming up with a ranking of the most 
to the least apparent love languages in a type two. Uh, and before I explain why, uh, let me just go ahead and give you how I rank the love languages. And again, this ranking is only my opinion and it, it's not a factual um, ranking, but I, I do believe it's a good basis to start from. So from most to least apparent, here they are. Acts of service, quality time, physical touch, gifts, and words of affirmation. So let me also preface this by saying, so you, usually I would um, go and talk more in depth about all five languages within a type, but for time's sake of this episode, um, as well as because I just, I had trouble, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just going to talk about the two most apparent ones because they were the easiest ones. And so the most apparent love language in a two is acts of service. Uh, and now it, it seems to me that acts of service is the most apparent love language in a lot of the Enneagram types. And I don't know why this is. Maybe it's just me putting some bias in here, and I hope not. But it, it just seems this way, um, that acts of service seems to be the most apparent in a majority of the Enneagram types. Um, and it, it kind of makes sense, though, because we live in a service-based world. You know, we live in a time where pretty much everything we do is service-based, you know, from eating, from home services, from um, grocery shopping. I mean, even now, you, you don't really even have to go grocery shopping yourself, but you can order a service that does the shopping for you and delivers to your house. So we just live in a service-based world now. And so I, I think that's kind of why it, uh, it seems that a lot of the Enneagram types are actually service, most apparent love language. So, but it makes even much more sense for it to be um, the most apparent in a two because twos are literally known as the helper. Um, so what does a helper do? They, they do acts of service. Um, and furthermore, healthy twos are altruistic people and they have a desire for everyone else to experience happiness and experience the best lives. What is a good way to do that? Through acts of service. And I want to, in a moment, I want to explain why I had trouble ranking these. And it do, has to do with the difference in how a two expresses love and how they receive love. But before I go there, let me talk about the second most apparent love language in a two, and that is quality time. So quality time for a two ties back into their desire for intimacy. Um, and so they, they kind of, let, let me just go ahead and go into um, why I struggled. So th th here's why I struggled um, to find a good ranking for the love languages of a two. And it's because of this. It seems that, for me at least, for the most part, that a two has a different way of expressing love and a different way of ex receiving love. Um, and so um, this is why I had trouble. And, and here, here's where I'm going with this. So a two who has acts of service, in my opinion, expresses love in that way, but they receive love through quality time. 
And so this was why it was such a struggle because it seemed like there was no good way to rank it when you're always receiving love in quality time, but you're always expressing in a different way. It was like, how do I explain this? How do I rank this in a way that is true? Because there's, to me, it just does not seem or it doesn't make sense for a two to express love through access service as well as receive it through access service. I'm not saying that it can't be that way, but it, it just made more sense knowing how a two operates and knowing the background of a two that it makes more sense that they will express an access service but receive in quality time and as well as anything else they might express in gifts but receive quality time. You know, it was just kind of like this back and forth. How does this work with the two? Because they really do crave a level of intimacy that is different from every other type of the Enneagram. And so that that's kind of why I struggle to do this ranking to find a good way to say, all right, here's the most apparent, at least apparent love language in you know, type two. And so, but again, this is all just to me. I may be completely wrong about this and I, and I hope I am because it just, it's kind of confusing, honestly, to think of it this in this way, but I, I may not be completely off base on this. And, you know, but who knows? It, it, it's, it, it's a tricky thing and it might be this way. I, I'm not a two, so I, I can't speak to the sentiments of this from experience. And so I'm only, what I'm presenting is only through research, is only through my general understanding. And so, like I said, I might be completely wrong. If I ever get the chance to have Suzanne Stabil on as a guest, I would definitely, definitely be sure to bring this up because it, it is intriguing, intriguing on how this is how this works with the two, at least for me. So I really do want to get some clarity on that. Um, so I know she'll be a great person. I mean, she's a great Enneagram teacher and coach. And uh, if you haven't listened to her podcast, uh, do it. Um, gosh, I, I can't remember the name of it. Something. The um, the Enneagram Journey with Suzanne Stabile. That, that's the name of the podcast. And so if you haven't listened to hers, I, I encourage you to go do that now. Um, not right now, but at least after you get done listening to my podcast, then go listen to her podcast. It's such a great podcast. Um, I, I listen to pretty much every episode already. And I listen to as soon as it comes out, new episode, like new one came out just the other day. I was like, all right listen so it's a great podcast so but yeah that there's kind of that just kind of goes into the love languages in there too and shows you why but yeah i hope you caught all that information I'm so glad that you have chosen to come along with me in another season of restoration season one was so great and I think that in the second season, uh, it's important to focus on relationships. And so I also want to challenge you in the second season that you'll be intentional about showing love to your significant other, family and friends. So I was just scrolling through TikTok on Sunday afternoon and I came across a video that um, a woman whose TikTok handle is Royal T Living, recorded of her high school teacher talking about the difference of being in love and to love back in 2017. And 
I, I, I knew that this was something I wanted to include into this episode. And I'm, quite frankly, I, I wish I would, would have discovered this video sooner than I did. Um, so I want to talk about this video a little bit more. But before I, I talk about the video, um, let, let's just give it a quick listen. I think being in love is more like uh, being in the spirit of something. Being in love deals more so with how I feel. It has everything to do with superficial happiness and this and that. I'm, I'm in love. You know, my heart flutters when I see you. I'm, I'm in love. The spirit of love is in the air. And yeah, I'm just so head over heels, right? But its surface is superficial. Because you can be in the spirit of love one day. And if that person really hits the right button, You'll be completely out <laughs> of the spirit, right? So you won't, your heart won't flutter. You'll have some other things going on when you see that individual, right? However, that's being in love, but to love, that's completely different. That has something to do with my will, my mind, and my emotions. Choosing to be fully committed and vested in another individual. Period. That ain't about what's happening, what's not happening. It's not about what you do or don't do. To love is a choice. Conscious. Mind, body, and spirit. I'm in it, and I'm in it for the long haul. I got you. I got you back. You don't have to worry about it. In love is superficial. You can feel that feeling, and, and, and a lot of times we search for that as an indicator of whether or not the relationship is good. But it's not. It's not the main indicator. It's not because that peace comes and goes. You know, I can be, I can have that feeling of being in love, but what happens when that wears off? Does my mind and my will and my heart still choose to be sold out to you, even when I'm not in love or in the spirit of love? If the answer to that question is no, you don't love it. <laughs> Period. Now, everything that this teacher says in this video is very correct and is very um, valid points that are so pointedly said. Um, and I don't want to dispute anything that she said. I, I just want to offer a deeper level of clarity to it. Um, so in this video, she, she mentions in love as being superficial and to love as being committed through it all. Um, so what she calls in love, I often refer to as the infatuation period. Um, now, the infatuation period is statistically proven. And what it is, is, is that it's typically two years of where no matter what happens in the relationship, no matter what someone does, how they offend you in the relationship, you're, if you are infatuated with them, if you're in love with them, um, you will want to come back to them every single time. Uh, so generally speaking, again, this is proven to be average about two years. And so a, lo a lot of people who deal in the relationship realm a, a lot like I do or like Dr. Gary Chapman or um, relationship coaches or um, therapists that if they're a good therapist, they'll know about this infatuation period uh, where it's typically say if it if you can get back get past two years then the relationship is pretty good is but then you have to decide where do you want the relationship to go all right and so 
if after two years of dating someone or having feelings for someone, you can still have solid feelings for them, that, that, that that's when you switch from being in love, infatuation to in love, to to love, and which is this choosing to be committed to a relationship. So uh, I always make this strong point before I when somebody asks me for advice or like, oh man, Praylin, I have seen me and this girl, we've been talking, we've been talking. I'm like, all right, how long have you been talking? Oh, a few months. Okay. So you have not, I, I tell them about this. I tell them about the infatuation period. I'm like, so typically we have, as human beings, there's this two-year period of where we're infatuated that no matter what happens, we will want to come back to this person. And that's what this infatuation period is. And it's this, and if you get past that two years and you still want to be with this person, then you know this is a relationship that you should work on. And I mentioned this to him as a, as a disclaimer. Um, and so the reason why I want to talk about this video, though, is because it is something that I believe, it is something that I always echo when I give advice. It is something that is pointed towards dating relationships, but it is also applicable to friendships. It's applicable to family relationships. If you aren't willing, if you are not choosing to be committed to a relationship, then why be in the relationship? If you're just there for the feel good moments, why be in the relationship? Because relationships should be dynamic, not static. They should build you as individuals and as a couple. Um, your friendship should build you as individuals and as a friend couple. Your dating relationship should build you as an individual and as a dating couple. Your marriage should build you should build you as individuals and as a married couple. Your family should build you as individuals and as a family couple. There is no point to be in a relationship. And I'm taking off my Enneagram hat here and my podcasting hat here. I'm going straight preacher mode here. There is no point in being in a relationship if you're not going to build it. Think about it as Jesus Christ. Jesus would not have died on the cross if he did not want to build us as individuals, if he did not want to build a relationship with us. What was the point of him dying if he's just like, there's no point in building this relationship. There's no point in working on them because they will always fall. They will always go back to their ways. But instead, Jesus said, no, people fail sometimes, but they can always come back. I want to build a relationship with, with them that says, all right, no matter how many times you fail, I'll always be here to love you. I'll always be here. You may not see it. You may not know it at times, but I'm always here. You can always come back to me. Why be in a relationship if you're not going to work on it be committed and i just built my coffee that's how passionate i am about this <laughs> um, it, i don't know what other way to say it and so be committed If you're asking now, if you're thinking in your mind now, Braylon, is, is, is it not possible for me to be committed from the get-go? 
I don't have to wait until this so-called infatuation period is over, do I? You don't. But I, I want to say this. You can be committed from the moment that you accept a relationship with somebody. But no matter where, what, what type of relationship that is, there's going to be this quote-unquote infatuation period for dating. It, it, it is solely, oh, they give you heart flutters. They make you get butterflies in your stomach. You can't stop thinking about them. For friendship, it's like, oh, you make me feel good. I, I don't know how I got through the world without you. I want to be by your side 24-7 experiencing life, going out, get coffee, going eat places. It looks a little bit different depending on the type of relationship it is, but for every relationship, there is going to be an infatuation period, no doubt. And generally speaking, again, that infatuation period ends after two years. And so, yes, you can be committed from the get-go to a relationship, but your commitment level is going to be clouded just a little bit for those first two years because of this infatuation because you have not yet seen them through every season of life you have not yet seen them and how they react to situations and so i say all this to say this yes you can be committed to a relationship from the get-go yes you can say all right i want to love you in this way i want to be i want our relationship to develop in this manner but there's going to be an infatuation period and that infatuation period is going to cloud your level of commitment for a little while. And generally, generally speaking, that infatuation period is two years. Uh, so, yeah, you just have to keep all that in mind. But again, if you're intentional, and there's that word again, one of my favorite words. If you're intentional in developing your relationship, developing the level of intimacy that you want to have in your relationship, I don't see why your relationship can't be successful, but you have to be intentional. You have to be present. You have to be intentional. You have to be committed. You have to not be in love, but you have to be willing to love. So, yeah, if you can't tell, I'm, I'm a little bit passionate about this entire topic. So, <laughs> but... <laughs> Let's move on to talk about a two's compatibility with the with each of the nine types. So again, when it comes to understanding a type's compat compatibility with another type, it's important to know that it's not about which types can or cannot coexist together, but it is about what what aspects of a relationship between two types are naturally innately good and what aspects will need some work for the relationship to be a healthy relationship. Um, in fact, the, the thing that really makes two people compatible is their shared devotion to deeply care for the relationship. This was, and this is why I really want to talk about that video. Um, and and it's why I wish I would have found it earlier because it really points out some valid points um, of being, of how compatibility is about your willingness to love. Um, so to be truly compatible with someone, um, it, 
again, it is this idea of going from in love to going to to love someone. Um, you have to go from the make me feel good to I want to work on the work on the relationship um, moment. You know, again, that's why that video was so great and why I love it. Um, it's probably one of my favorite videos now. I probably will reference it, reference it um, a lot from now on. Um, but and that's what really makes two people compatible. This idea of I want to love you and not to be in love with you. Um, I want to work on the relationship and not just to feel the feel good of the relationship. Uh, that willingness to be with each other is what truly makes two people compatible. It's what truly makes two types of the Enneagram compatible. But what I want to do today is give you a general understanding of type two's compatibility with each type of the nine types. Again, this is not a set in stone thing. You, if you're two, it's not, oh, I got to find somebody who's this type. No, you, you do not have to find somebody who is per se a six. Um, but this just gives you some built in things about a type two of how your relationship with the six typically goes. And you can say, all right, so here's some aspects of if I ever find someone who is a four, here's aspects of our relationship that's going to be good from the get go, just innately good because that's our personalities and mesh together. But if I also find but you can also know as a two, all right, if I find a relationship with someone who's a four, all right, here's some aspects of our relationship that if we want this to be a healthy, successful relationship, we're going to have to work on it together. And that's what about that. That's what I'm about to say is all about. It's not about, all right, you have to find this type in order to be a happy couple. No, this is about, all right, here's some aspects that are good. And here's some aspects that are going to need to work, need some work. And here's where we can keep our focus to know, all right, here's where problems are coming from. How can we work on this type of thing? Um, it's not about, it's not about this is what I have to do, but this is what, this is what we have to work on type of thing. So let's start out from the top twos and ones. The two and one couple is a very complimentary couple because they both offer the example of their own qualities. This relationship is built on shared values. If someone who is one is seeking to learn how to relax, it would be a good thing for them to be in a relationship, whether that relationship is platonic or a romantic relationship, it will be a good thing for them to be in a relationship with a two because twos help one soften and relax. Twos are more friendly and more welcoming than ones typically are. And that's why um, a two can warm up the one's more revered exterior. But ones bring integrity um, consciousness, gosh, I messed up that. I just butchered that word. Conscientiousness, responsibility, <laughs> and consistency to the relationship. Once commit strongly, which makes the two feel secure. This one and two relationship has some irony, though. Um, ones and twos are two Enneagram types who highly who are highly concerned for the needs of others, but they 
tend not to be aware of their own needs as individuals. Um, when it comes to, let me just pause right there. So what I mean by that, they're always aware about how other people need help. But as a one individually, as a two individually, they're not always aware of where they themselves need help. Oh, my friend over there needs, needs help um, with his finances. I'll give him 20 bucks. But their friend over there is like, oh, that, that too. They, they need help in life. They're struggling emotionally. But two's like, I'm not struggling emotionally, but I'll help you. And here's 20 bucks to get you some gas. No tough times. Not always aware about their own needs, but can in the snap recognize the needs of others. When it comes to problem areas for the one and two couple, it often revolves around the idea of serving. Both the one and two feel like getting what they won't feel selfish and forbidden. Twos feel that they must take care of everyone else's needs before they are allowed to have needs themselves. This, in turn, can cause the one to begin to feel disappointed by a two's tendency to give so much of themselves to the to others and to be so unregulated regarding time and attention. On the other hand, though, two see ones as too impersonal and unconcerned with others. Two uh, see ones as not sympathetic or charitable charitable enough. Twos can become can begin to become disappointed in the reality of the one's idealism. They begin to think that the one may love humanity, but not but have little real compassion. Uh, both types can begin to become condemnatory and critical of the other as a relationship drifts apart. And if both the one and two cultivates the art of comp compromise, then it will help the relationship to thrive. Uh, so. Let's move on to the two and the double two pairing. The double two pairing has a lot of communication. This couple has no problem with discussing their feelings and inquiring about the other's health and the thing. Gosh, my notes are messed up here. And the things going on in the others and and their life in each other's lives. Healthy two, healthy, healthy double two couples bring a high level of warmth, affection, and sensitivity to each other. Neither of them are used to being nurtured by someone else. So this is why they will generally need to learn how to allow themselves to be loved and helped by the other. Potential issues for this relationship um, are mainly because of the fact that they are feeling oriented. Both are concerned with questions of value and self-worth. Um, they are concerned with identity and gaining validation from others. This can lead them to be more prone towards secret jealousy and competition with each other to see who is loved more, who is the center of attention, or who is being sought out more frequently for advice or for social events. 
Admittedly, though, another problem for this couple is knowing who will lead, when, and how. However, this relationship can become a source of deep love and abundance from which they are able to more fully move out into the world if each of them learns to take in the support of the other. I'm going to kind of move fast to this because there's a nine types in this whole information second. So forgive me if this kind of sounds robotic because I am kind of just reading from my notes. Um, but the two and three couple is more is one of the more interpersonally attractive and impactful pairings. Both are driven by the feelings and emotional needs. But let me get this disclaimer too. This is not always apparent in the three. Both are driven by their need for attention and the desire to be loved. Here's another disclaimer though. This is not always apparent in the two. Each type in this relationship brings energy. They bring personal and social ambition, the ability to communicate with people, to make others in a way, to communicate with others, to make them feel like they are the center of attention. The qualities that each type brings in this relationship is like flipping a coin, though. Twos like to feel proud of the loved ones, whereas threes want to make their partner proud. Twos like to put the spotlight on others, whereas threes want to be in the spotlight. Twos like to be the power behind the throne, whereas threes like to be the person on the throne. Threes like to be the point person. Issues for this couple come from their tendency of being self-conscious and even more conscious of each other. Twos tend to get jealous and possessive of threes. They fall into this mentality of thinking, I made you, so you owe me. However, threes feel that the twos overestimate the contributions and take too much credit for the three success and development. Uh, so as a result, twos can start to undermine the three's confidence and to get the three to feel that they depend on the two. But threes react quickly and strongly to perceive criticism and potential humiliation by distancing themselves which triggers the two's fears of abandonment and creates more anxiety and, um, and manipulation in the two. The thing about this couple is that they are neither particularly introspective nor are they very interested in their underlying motives. So they simply assume that they are traveling in the same direction toward increasing, su increasing success and social validation only to realize that they have drifted apart and may actually be a loggerhead with, with each other. So as intimacy deteriorates, what it means to have a successful relationship becomes the real question for this couple. Disdain for, disdain for each other can often erupt into open hostilities. One thing that will help this relationship thrive is for them to enjoy the camaraderie, but also respect the differences of each other. The two and four couple can be a very warm and passionate couple when they both openly share their feelings regularly together. Both types are seeking warmth and connection, and they both are willing to provide it when they are healthy. But let's go a little bit deeper here. So once they have gotten over the initial hurdle, hurdles of intimacy, twos and fours can be a safe place for each other to share hopes, fears, and insecurities. 
Fours are given the confidence to, to interact more easily with others by the twos, sociability and energy. On the other hand, fours invite twos to take a closer look at their deeper needs, the truth of who they are and what they actually feel. This is a couple who invites each other to mature emotionally, which usually is an unspoken invitation, and they both help each other to become more interdirected. However, this is usually a pairing that is better being friends than they are being romantic partners. Intimate relationships between twos and fours are rare. And the problem with for this relationship lies within the possibility of too much emotionality and too many unspoken demands. Twos tend to see fours as too moody and temperamental. Um, let twos see fours as led too much by the feelings and unconscious impulses, whereas full four, uh, whereas fours tend to see twos and as too saccharine and artificially upbeat flattering and insincere to get close to people and to feel needed. Forrest can begin to feel socially inept and overshadowed by the charm and popularity of twos. Secret shame and feeling of worthlessness on the part of both can, be, can begin to undermine the relationship. It can founder on the forest feelings of abandonment if the two becomes involved with others, and it can also founder on the twos and increasingly increasingly feeling of unappreciated by the four. So both begin to see the other as too emotionally needed and ultimately as more demanding than each wishes to put effort into. Let's move on to the two and five. So I'm looking at my notes here. <laughs> and it just made me laugh because I, I apparently made a misspelling that I did not catch. And so instead of saying two and five, I said the two and fair pairing. Uh, so um, we'll just side note that made me laugh in my head a little bit there. The two and five pairing is made up of two people who are complete opposites. You have a two who is a people person with, and who is within the feeling triad, the heart triad. But you also have a five who is a loner and who is within the head triad, the thinking triad of the Enneagram. But because they are so different from each other, there can be an intense attraction to the mystery of each other. Twos bring a willingness to take the initiative and to pursue the five in the relationship. They see fives as challenges. They see fives as distant mentally preoccupied and difficult to charm. And since it is so hard to know what pleases fives, because fives are so private, twos only try harder to know what pleases fives. Fives bring stability and quietness, dispassionate good judgment and objectivity, especially in crises to the relationship. They are not as attached to outcomes which allows them to be able to make decisions more wisely and to be good advisors to the more emotionally volatile too. Many of the issues for this couple has to do with their boundaries and how respectful or how not respectful they are to each other. 
And it all starts when the two becomes frustrated by the five's lack of immediate response to them, which hurts the two's feelings and feels like a rejection to them. The two's activities then become a form of intrusion that at its roots is the need to reassure themselves that the five is still connected with them. However, the more intrusive the two becomes, the more the five internally withdraws and detaches emotionally from what feels like a threat to their own autonomy and competence. In turn, the five starts to lose their self-confidence and are actually harmed by being overly helped. But lower functioning twos feel that they have no value unless they are helping people. So the more distance a five puts between themselves and the two, the more this brings out the two's obsessions, obsessions uh, and the more aggressive they become in their pursuit of the five. It is a prescription, in all of it is a prescription for disaster, or at least a prescription for loneliness for both. So if twos learn to wait until fives are ready to share information about their lives in this relationship, we be more successful. Whew. A lot of information. I hope you're catching this. Um, oh. Just a few more. Twos and sixes are highly dutiful and take their responsibilities toward each other very seriously. However, they each have a different emphasis. Two's primary focus is on building intimacy and positive feelings between themselves and others. Sixes, on the other hand, focus on building a foundation of security, a sturdy platform of hard work and trust that everyone can count on. One of the main potential areas for problems in this relationship has to do with control and autonomy, being too close and being too far apart. Another part of the problem has to do with a lower functioning six's lack of self-confidence and their ability to be decisive in the decision-making. As sixes become more reactive, they are likely to impulsively take almost any action just to relieve their anxieties momentarily. It is at these times that twos begin to offer more help and advice or to issue quote-unquote orders as a way to empower the six and to help them through their anxiety. However, sixes usually perceive the two's help as intrusiveness and undermining of their self-confidence, which they, the six, resent. On the flip side, lower-functioning twos think that there is no such thing as too much intimacy. However, sixes are more mixed feelings when they're, which their mixed feelings and inconsistency, inconsistency only drives the two crazy and taps into the two's fear of rejection. This couple can become enmeshed in a bad child punishing parent drama that can ultimately be fatal to the relationship and the real mutual respect that it was potentially founded on. The two and seven pairing is a pairing made of two people who both can be outgoing, friendly, funny, high-energy people. Both the two and the seven want others to be happy. They both are a part of the Positive Outlook Harmonic Group, which I'll talk more about the harmonic groups at the end of this season and in season three. 
But being a part of this group allows them to interpret things, even setbacks in a positive way. They are always looking for the silver lining. So let's talk about what each type brings to a relationship. Twos bring a depth of feeling and concern for the welfare of others, and they admire the nerve and gusto with which sevens plunge ahead in life with making the seven available to everyday unpredictable adventures. Sevens bring high energy and a quick mind that sees possibilities and generates ideas faster than they can be acted on. Sevens help twos to remember to do nice things for themselves on a regular basis. But issues in this relationship are a result of intimacy versus adventure. Twos feel that they can never have enough intimacy and they are usually trying to find ways to be closer to the seven. This may include staying home, going on quiet walks together, cooking together, and talking about settling down and having a family. However, sevens generally find the idea of settling down as unattractive. So a good thing that will help this relationship thrive, thrive is a two practicing verbalizing what they want and need. The second to last couple is the two and eight couple. This coupling creates a passionate and energetic couple with a desire for creating fun and inserting a powerful compassion into the world. Both of these types like to lend other people healing. They like to lend goodness to other people. Both are action-oriented and want to have a personal impact on their environment. And eights benefit for the benefits from the tenderness affection and awareness of feelings that the two has to offer. However, each type has a different emphasis. Twos are primarily um, interested in the welfare of others, whereas eights are primarily primarily interested in, the, in their own physical well-being and having a distinct impact on their world. There's uh, um, the ideological disconnect becomes even greater with this couple when it comes to determining where other people fit into the picture other relationship because twos are people oriented and eights are practical minded. This couple has clearly delineated roles that so that they don't get in each other's way. While this is one of the best couplings, if they don't focus on serving each other, either the eight or the two or both may feel jaded and left behind in the mad rush to be competitively the best as well as to deny the stress that is under the surface of the relationship. All right, we've made it to the last type. I have to say, I love talking about the compatibility of all the nine types, but it can be tiring. I know just listening to go through all of these, it's like, oh gosh, here we go again. And if you think you're tired, listen, just imagine how tired I have to be by now when I have to research these and write notes on them. <sighs> this is this is probably what prolongs the process of recording an episode the most in this series is doing this compatibility. But I think it's so crucial to get to the reconnection point of it all. So that's why I do it um, no matter how tiring it is. So, but it's, I think it's crucial to understanding how to reconnect with people. So I'm going to keep doing it. And so with that being said, let's talk about the last couple for the two, which is the two and nine pairing. 
which is a warm, kind, and good-natured um, couple. This couple is very mellow. They have an emphasis on hospitality that serves as a reminder to others of how healing it is to be around loving and generous people. In this relationship, nines bring a quiet steadiness and un and uncomplicated instructions and twos bring a great amount of engaging energy that is very outwardly and interpersonal. Nines have a lot to teach twos. Nines help twos understand that it is not necessary, nor is it healthy to respond to every feeling that they, that they pick up from other people. Nines also help twos respond, recognize their tendency to overreach into the lives of others. They help to set the relationship. Um, they help twos set boundaries. And since both of these types tend to go along with others, the agenda of other agendas of other people, it will do their relationships some good for one person to make the decision in the relationship. However, negotiating power and decision-making in this coupling puts both of them under increasing stress, and they both tend to feel that they are being forced into the bad guy role of the family and that they will be resented and unloved while the partner gets off the hook. This couple also does not find it easy to discuss their feelings or their growing dis discontent with the power balance of the relationship or any source of resentment and potential conflicts. In this relationship, the two can become domineering. So when the nine finally speaks up for themselves, the two takes this as a lack of gratitude and uses the nine's comments against them. This couple, which seems so supportive, tends to end through attrition. The pressure of the relationship becomes too much and they start to drift apart. Whew, that's a lot. So, yeah, that's a lot of information. All right, now it's time for the final part of the episode, the meat behind it all, um, the main course of the episode, the reconnection moment. And as always, I want to remind everyone that when I talk about reconnection, I'm not, I'm not talking about it in the typical way that we think reconnection. So typically we think of reconnection as, oh, I'm reconnecting with someone who was estranged from me, a relationship that... Um, has not been kept up, you know, you probably haven't talked to this person in 10 years type of relationship. That's what we typically think of reconnection as. But honestly, I've always have hated thinking that reconnecting the relationship is only for the estranged relationships. Um, there are people who I still talk to on a daily basis. And I know there are people who you talk to on a daily basis, but there just seems to be a missing piece within the relationship. And so I hate talking about reconnection as, oh, I haven't talked to you in years. Let's reconnect. No, reconnection is also for the relationships that you have on a daily basis, but there is just seems to be a missing piece to the relationship. So when I talk about reconnecting with someone, I'm not talking about only about the estranged relationships. I'm talking about the relationships um, where it just seems to be like there's a missing piece. Maybe you have a friend you talk to 24-7, but in that relationship, it seems to be like there's a missing piece of a relationship. Maybe you talk to your mother every day at the same time. You FaceTime every other day. 
but there seems to be a missing piece to your relationship. Maybe you're dating someone and everything seems to go good, but yet there's this tiny piece of the relationship that just does not seem to be there. That's reconnecting because along the way, you forgot to figure that piece of the puzzle out. So you've got to search for it. You've, you've got to look for it. You've got to take note of, all right, you have all the corny edges. You have this piece and it looks like this. So you've got to search through all your puzzle pieces throughout the house and be like, all right, here's that piece to the puzzle. It's like finding that missing piece to a 200 piece puzzle or more. It's so small. It is so easy to lose but it's possible to find the piece of the puzzle that's how i view reconnection it's not for the relationships that are 10 years old that you haven't talked to in years but it's also about the relationships that you talk to daily but there just seems to be something missing there reconnecting it's not a it's about making every relationship that you have healthy. It's about making every relationship that you have successful. But it starts, reconnecting starts with an ideological understanding. It starts with a mentality. And that understanding is how you understand yourself and how you understand your motives for your desire to reconnect. And for a two, the ideological understanding starts with a two learning what is theirs to take care of and what is not theirs to take care of. I mentioned this more in depth earlier in the episode. So if you need to go back to the beginning of the episode and listen to what I mean by that, um, I kind of meant to wait to this point of the episode to talk more in depth about that, but I ended up talking, to it, talking about it earlier. So I won't talk about it now, but when a two, as a two, if you can learn what is yours to take care of and what is not yours to take care of, then you won't trigger your fear of rejection so often when someone doesn't accept your help. So it, there goes how you reconnect. You know, that, that, that begins the ideological understanding of it, the mentality, the mental understanding of it all. But then that ideological understanding has to transform into practical understanding. How can you practice this? And so for a two, the practical understanding comes from practicing on limiting yourself and finding different ways of intimacy. So first, practice limiting yourself. Um, Again, this, this goes along with learning what is yours to take care of and what is not yours to take care of. Um, set boundaries for yourself in helping others. Um, don't devote yourself so much to others, but devote more time to yourself. Um, don't get me wrong. Everyone likes receiving help when they're struggling, but they like this. They like receiving help to a point because people still like to be autonomous. Um, so if you practice learning people's limits of receiving help and practice not intruding past others, the barriers that other people have, 
and it, you might have to verbally ask them when they would like you to stop helping them. What what you might have to verbally say? What are your boundaries for me? But if you do that, it'll help you find a deeper level of connection because then you're not forcing yourself on them, but you're saying, all right, I want to be intentional about our relationship. So let me understand your boundaries, how I can help you and how you can help me. And let's mold this intentional relationship of mutual helping, mutual efforts of receiving help and giving help. Now let's talk about practicing practicing intimacy. Life's, life moves fast, and sometimes life cannot be slowed down. But even when life moves fast, even then, as a two, you still crave, you have a deep desire for intimacy. So I want you, as a two, to practice finding intimacy when life is going fast. When you're running from one event to the, another event, from deadline to deadline, from one kid's soccer game to the next soccer game, that's just five minutes away. But also practice finding intimacy in the slow moments of life. When you can take an hour to cuddle on the couch and watch a movie with your loved one or just to sit on the porch listening to the rainfall while you drink a warm cup of tea or a glass of coffee, a mug of coffee. Practice finding those moments of intimacy. And it's going to look different for every two because life is different for every person. And you may not think that it's possible to find intimacy when life is moving fast, but it is very possible. You just, again, have to be intentional about it. Intimacy within the fast moments can look like, all right, holding your partner's hand as you walk down the path towards your kid's soccer game. There's intimacy. Intimacy can look like your husband saying to you, all right, I'm going to take, I'll take our son to his soccer game. So that way you can stay here and watch finish watching our daughter play soccer. And then once you all get done here, you can just come to um, the other game. Intimacy in, co in the compromise. But then there's also intimacy in the slowness. Again, that can be sitting on the front porch with your loved one, uh, drinking a warm glass of tea or coffee and, and just listen to the rainfall. It can be cuddling on the couch on a Friday night while the kids are asleep, watching a Marvel movie or a DC movie or a Tyler Perry movie or, or a rom-com or a comedy or a Netflix movie or a Hulu show. Whatever it is, you have to discover what that moment of intimacy is for you as an individual. I could always give you ideas, but... Again, life is so different for everybody. So what I suggest may not work for you or it may work for you. Just, just find what that might be for you. I promise you it will help you connect with your loved ones as well as with your friends, your platonic relationships as well. If, if you find that level of intimacy 
and the fast and the slow as well. And if you practice that. So now if you are not a two, where does your reconnection start? So again, your reconnection, if you're one, three, four, five, six, eight, or nine, or seven, your ideological understanding, your reconnection starts with your ideological understanding that twos rarely, rarely see themselves as intrusive in their efforts to help people. So fortunately for you, your practical understanding, though, is a little bit easier than it is for a two. So if you're not a two, if you're one, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or nine, I want you to practice verbally expressing when a two starts to cross into your boundaries. Um, but do it in a loving manner. Don't be harsh about it. I want you to start practicing saying, all right. I appreciate your help and I let me back up. Here's a prompt that you can use and you can, and you can, um, re remote this that fits your, um, uh, vocabulary better, but here's a general thing that you can say. Uh, you can say something like this. I understand that as a two, you really like to help people and I really appreciate your help in the situation, but I think that, it is time for me to do the rest on my own. However, if I promise that if I need your help again in this situation, I will ask you to help me again. Simple, simple as that. Let them know that you care and that you appreciate their help. At the same time, let them, rec let them know that you, you think that is at this point that you should solve the rest by yourself but offer them the opportunity to come back into the situation to help you again if you need it. That's how you'd start to discover reconnection between yourself and a two. Because you're not rejecting them, you're just saying, I don't, I, I should probably figure it out on my own at this point, but I'm not saying I don't need your help at all anymore in this situation. But if I need your help, I'll come back and ask you. So. Whew. Yeah. If you can't tell, I'm a very passionate person about intentionally doing relationships, about reconnecting by connecting with people with intentionality behind it all. So. I'm passionate about it and I hope you can see my passion through what I say. And I hope that you can take what I'm saying and learn from it and, and put it into practice in your life. Uh, and I hope it helps you. I hope it does. I, I spend a lot of time saying, all right, I hope I spend a lot of time saying, here's what I can say. And I hope it helps somebody reconnect. I hope somebody finds a deeper level, deeper level of connection. And I really truly do hope that. And so if it, Anything I have ever said within this episode or any other episode within this reconnected series, please do send me a DM at Instagram Restored on Instagram. I, I really want to know how has this series helped you thus far. So it's been, I love this series. It, it's, it takes a lot to prepare, but I love doing this series.
With that being said, that is all I have for today's episode of um, Enneagram Store Podcast. I forgot the name of my own podcast. Wow, that's embarrassing. Anyway, <laughs> um, that is it for this week's episode of Enneagram Store Podcast. Enneagram Store Podcast. Again, thank you all for listening. I hope you are able to take some things away from this to put into practice to help you develop a deeper level of intimacy with the type two um, or if you're type two to help you develop a deeper level of intimacy with the other types um, but it is also hard to believe that today this episode marks the halfway point of the reconnected series um so with that I just want to take a moment to pause and say this is how the rest of season two of Enneagram Store Podcast is going to look. Um, we will finish out this series and then I am going to do kind of like a crash course is what I'm going to call them. Um, it's basically like a brief overview um, of everything you need to know about the Enneagram subtypes and the Enneagram groups um, which the Enneagram groups include um, the harmonic group, which is one I mentioned in this episode, the harmony groups, and again, um, center groups. I forget the actual name for it, but and the homovarian groups. Um, so I'll give a brief overview of what I mean by all of those names at the end of season two, but then. Um, talk more about it in season three more in depth about all the subtypes and the Enneagram groups in season three um, which um, is already slated for a full list of episodes Um, so I'm excited about that Um, can't wait to figure out when season three will start Um, but until I I should probably figure out um, the rest of season two before I try to figure out a start date for season three. So I'm um, going to finish out season two before I um, start really thinking about season three. And so um, I'm excited. This podcast has been fun to do. And I don't intend to stop now. I hope you continue to join along on the journey because we will dive even deeper and deeper into the Enneagram and how it can be of help to making us better people. Um, I know through this I've done a lot of I do a lot on every type um, and more I don't I do an equal amount on every type really um, but I don't really focus on my own type which is eight and so but even though I do you know an equal amount on every type and then there's not a deep focus on type eight I, I still have learned ways from just per se today's episode on type twos on how to um be a better eight person so yeah that's what the Enneagram is all about so again thank you for listening don't miss next week's episode as we continue the reconnected series with type three the achiever and as always remember 
that the Enneagram doesn't define you, but it does bring restoration. It helps reshape your thinking and habits 